You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for July 24th, 2022, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Well, on July 12th, NASA released five early images captured by the James Webb Space Telescope since it launched on Christmas Day last year and arrived at its resting place a million miles from here. And on that day, this, the space telescope at the Space Telescope Institute that was named for her, the former U.S. Senator Barbara Mikulski toasted a crowd of scientists there and joked, this is a 30-year, 30 $30 billion overnight success. Well, besides the motherload of new data that scientists will be able to mine from each crystal clear, super high resolution photograph, each one at face value, plain and simple, is a work of art. You don't have to comprehend what's actually in the images to be drawn to their magnificent composition and explosive color. They show us stars dying and stars being born in far greater depth and detail than ever before. They show luminous, mind-blowing arrays of galaxies more distant than have ever been seen. And in all stages of formation and disintegration, a swirl in element-rich gas and dust clouds. The Webb is the world's most advanced telescope by far. It has been called our first-class ticket to the depths of the universe and a cosmic time machine, since it can see distant galaxies as they appeared as far back as 13 billion years ago. According to NASA, the Webb Telescope's infrared lens is so sensitive that it could register the heat of a bumblebee from the distance of the Earth's moon. Its resolution is so high that, technically speaking, it would be able to capture the details on a penny from 25 miles away. One of these first five images released two weeks ago is a photo of the Southern Ring Nebula, which captures a star thousands of years into its long death spiral, during which it sheds layers of its gas and chemical dust back into space, along with all the heavier elements in the universe, carbon, iron, calcium, sulfur, and all the other things that make up our own skin and bones. On NASA's podcast, The Curious Universe, astronomer Michelle Thaler said, for the first time, scientists can see this process in detail. She said, with these new images, we're looking back to the beginning of us, the place where a lot of the atoms inside your body were formed. There it is, right in front of you, with the dying star. This is where I cue the Joni Mitchell song. We are stardust, we are golden, we are billion-year-old carbon, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. These vivid images of our unfolding and unfinished universe bring new dimension to the way I hear those words, that we are stardust, and to what we mean when we say in church, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Given the atmosphere in which we presently live, and by atmosphere, I mean the cultural, political, and social atmosphere of our time, for me, these images come as a bomb to my parched and weary soul. As products of the highest heights of human achievement and ingenuity, these images lift my spirits 
from an occasional sinking feeling that here on Earth, we might be living through one of the most destructive and unnerving periods of human history. Not least of all, because we're throwing every ecosystem on our planet out of balance with our unrelenting waste and consumption of fossil fuels, ignoring all the evidence that is screaming to us to find more sustainable ways to live and use our resources. To be sure, this is a troubling time to be alive and to be concerned about the planet that we're leaving to our children and grandchildren. This project that's turning humanity's attention toward deep space and rekindling our sense of awe at how we have come to be here takes me back to the garden, so to speak. It is silence-inducing to be reminded of the staggering size and nature of this universe and our relative obscurity, and at the same time acknowledge the glorious privilege we have to live on this fragile earth, our island home to borrow a phrase from Eucharistic Prayer C that we'll say in a few minutes. And speaking of prayer, in the Gospel from Luke today, Jesus' first disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They're faithful, God-fearing Jews. We can assume they know how to pray and do so according to their tradition. But something was different about the way Jesus prayed and about how he walked through his life shaped in prayer. Jesus retreated regularly to deserts and mountains to pray by himself or with a few disciples. They observed this throughout their lives with him, and they observed his serenity and his ability to be fully present with them and with others as he moved about, being challenged and confronted at every turn for his healing and for his teaching about an all-loving and all-merciful God whose kingdom, whose very presence is within us. I think the disciples must have wanted to know what part of praying they did not yet understand. And many of us come to this question, too. The Franciscan nun and theologian Ilia Delio writes that prayer is the energy of awakening to this radical presence of God. The first 12th century biographer of St. Francis wrote that Francis did not so much pray as he became a living prayer. And Ilya Dilio said the same about the 20th century priest and paleontologist Teilhard de Chardin. To me, Teilhard is one of the most important and relevant thinkers for our time. He was deeply dedicated to his dual life as a French Jesuit priest and as a scientist. He took part in the discovery of Peking Man in China. And both of these worlds in which he moved, science and the Catholic Church, with their monolithic prejudice against each other, rejected him at various times out of resentment for his involvement with the other. All the more reason Teilhard's prayer life grounded him squarely in God as the source of his life. Delia wrote that because of the way he prayed, Teilhard became a stranger to the human sphere of competition, greed, and individualism, and he found his humanity at home in the cosmos. As a paleontologist, Teilhard experienced God most truly and powerfully through matter, literally in the physical, material world, beginning with the rich variety of stones and minerals that he first discovered as a boy growing up in the Auvergne, 
which is the volcanic region in France. He grew to refer to the world of matter as the divine milieu, charged with creative power. For Teilhard, God is present in matter and not just to matter. For matter is the incarnating presence of divinity. Teilhard was able to find in every created thing the pulsing, creating presence of divinity, which radiated from it. Another Franciscan, John Duns Scotus, called this deep, deeply personal presence of God in matter the thisness of everything, by which he meant the ineffable presence at the center of this stone, this tree, this bird, this atom, this person. And the Benedictine monk Thomas Merton called that thisness the center of divine presence that eludes the fantasies of our own mind or the brutalities of our own will because it is the pure glory of God. This is the presence that looks out from each point of matter and sees itself in every other point of matter. So God is contemplating God's self in the beauty of every created form. Each thing, a tree, a dog, a cat, a gemstone, you, me, just by being itself radiates divine love, which is its own ineffable goodness. Prayer is the energy of awakening to this radical presence of God. Prayer doesn't need to, nor should it, always take place in church, or on our knees, or with words or pious gestures. Like St. Francis or Teilhard de Chardin, we can become living prayers when we awaken to this radical divine presence in everything we do and everything we touch, taste, feel, or experience. Thomas Merton even saw ordinary labor as central to the life of faith. He said cutting wood, clearing ground, mowing grass, cooking soup, washing, sweeping, this is religion. The further one gets away from this, the more one sinks in the mud of words and gestures. Jesus teaches us to ask, search, knock, and persist in doing so. Look for the radical presence of God within us and in our circumstances and in all manner of matter. If we ask with the heart of a child, asking for an egg, we will not find scorpions. Jesus says plainly that the God we seek loves us and is radically present to us. And when we ask, search, and knock, we will be given nothing less than the divine presence of God's Holy Spirit. Prayer is the energy of awakening to this radical presence of God. The popular astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to us. And it follows that we are under no obligation to find sense in the universe. But doesn't it take your breath away that we humans have the capability of trying? As far as we know, in all the expanse of this unfolding and unfinished universe, we here on this pale blue dot are the only ones building a Webb Space Telescope. What are we to make of that? It's very hard to wrap our minds around that. But at the very minimum, for we who are gathered in church, 
It is our opportunity to rekindle our joy and wonder in all the works of God. We are under no obligation to engage with this radical presence of God. But doesn't it take your breath away that we have the invitation to try? But we have to want it. So great are the distractions in our lives, so many are our burdens and responsibilities, that we need to want to awaken to God's presence. And how do we get there? It takes our active engagement. We can do in our lives what scientists do in their labs. Prayer is one way we can engage with the divine mystery of this vast unknown universe, and one of the ways with which we can make it more known. Hunger for awakening, hunger for illumination, hunger for new eyes with which to see the radical presence of God everywhere. This is an invitation, not an order, from our gracious teacher and Lord. And isn't this exactly why we come to church? To access that prayerful energy that awakens us to the radical presence of God in ourselves, in the world, in our work, in our relationships, and in all manner of matter, from your own fingernails to the furthest star. The universe is shot through with the radical presence of God. Ask, search, knock. Persist in wonder and awaken to it everywhere. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.